and convicting me and putting his hand on issues of my, of my life. So I want to share also a little bit of my journey with you. But as we look at some of these areas that I believe God wants to give us new levels of freedom. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this up on the screen. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us, what, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. It's kind of one of the key passages to this. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. We are on a journey. We are on a race. But we are in a war. And so the writer of Hebrews says this phrase, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that's so easily entangled. And, and doesn't that sound like really easy with the way he presents that? Yeah, just throw it off. When you're walking it out, it's a whole different ballgame, isn't it? We're going to talk about how to do that. He, he talks about the sin that so easily entangles. One translation calls it besetting sins, or you can have the, those nagging sins that kind of keep tripping us up in our walk with Christ, those things that we tend to deal with regularly. And here's the thing about besetting sins. My besetting sin may not be yours, and yours may not be mine. We might deal with some similar things, but a lot of us have these different areas in our lives where the enemy tries to pinpoint these besetting sins, these nagging sins that try to trip us up. And that's what he says, cast aside those things. Let us throw them off. And so these nagging things, can we have victory in those areas? And then if we can get victory in those areas, and the obvious answer is yes, we can. And if we can, as scripture says, if we can cast these things aside, then the natural question is this, how do we do it, right? How do we throw off those sins that entangle us? Because Jesus says this. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, doesn't he? John 16, 33. You will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And I don't think in this life we're going to be completely free from every struggle. That's what James says. He says, count it all joy when you're going through various trials or struggles or those things. I don't think we're going to be absent from it just because we live in a fallen world. And Jesus says that you're going to have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. But here's the difference. I don't think in this life we have to live dictated by them. I think we'll wrestle with things and we struggle with things, but the difference is that are we able to shake those things off and not live dictated by them because the enemy wants us to live dictated and oppressed by them all of our days. And so living in victory, I believe, is, it will be a day-to-day, moment-by-moment walk, and you'll notice that through we, as we go along here, that's how Jesus set it up. Day-to-day, moment-by-moment, we walk in victory. I'm not going to focus on the enemy so much because I just don't want to do that. But the enemy would like for our sins and our struggles, those things that easily trip us up, those nagging sins, he wants them to become strongholds in your life. He wants it to be a chain over you and to, to prevent you and keep you from being all that God wants you to be. He wants it to hold us captive. 
But Jesus wants us to have freedom and victory and walk victoriously as we walk with him day to day. Here's a key passage that we will be looking at probably each week, but from John 8, Jesus is saying this. I love this passage. Some of us have memorized parts of this passage or you've heard them and, 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 and a couple of the phrases you will recognize, but I want you to look deep within of what Jesus is saying. Don't you love that Jesus can take a few sentences and he can preach a powerful sermon? Don't you wish I had that ability? We could all get out of here a little earlier. But Jesus says this, to the Jews who had believed to him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. So what is, what is he saying about being his follower? If you, wanna, if you really are my disciples, you will what? Hold to my teaching. And so one of the things of being a follower is to figure out what he says and what he teaches and why he taught what he taught. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Don't we like the promise before we deal with the condition of the promise? You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. How many times have we said that to ourselves or others? I've done that. I've prayed that, man. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And that sounds great. But what we need to say is if you hold to the teaching of Jesus... Then you'll know the truth, and then the truth will set you free. And they answered because they were debating with him at this, at this time where he's teaching this. In verse 33, they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied, Very truly, uh, King James called it, Verily, verily, that means he really wants you to listen to this, what he's about to say. Truly, truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Right there, he's saying, this is what the enemy wants for your life. He wants those nagging sins to become, to make you slaves, to make you captive, to hold you hostage. And if you sin, you are a slave to sin. Then he says this, and I love this part. Uh, he said, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, here's that famous passage, what? You will be free indeed. But what is he saying there? Slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. He is declaring, he said, here's a part of your freedom. You need to understand sonship. You need to understand relationship and intimacy, sonship or daughtership. He, ladies, he wasn't leaving you out there. But he's saying, if you sin, you're a slave to sin. But let me understand, he said, a slave, they're not a part of the family. They work for the family. They're, they, they do what they do, and then they, they go on about their lives. But a son, if you understand, if you want freedom to understand, you are sons and daughters of God. And if you understand positionally who you are in Christ, it's a part of freedom. A son belongs to the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And that's what he's saying. I'm the son, and if I set you free, you will be free indeed. And here is how to understand you are sons and daughters of God. You have a positional place with God. That's the first place of knowing how to get free.
Because a lot of times we, you know, it's like, remember the prodigal, the story of the prodigal son? Remember when he had come to his senses, he's eating with the pigs, he had wasted his dad's inheritance through wild living women, and his brother is angry that they're, you know, throwing a party for him. But look, he, the reason, and you understand why he went into the trap of wild living to begin with. What does he do when he's coming home? You remember he's rehearsing the speech to dad. He's saying, I, you know, I, 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 I blew it and, and, and I'll go to home to my father and I'll tell him that, you know, I'll just be a slave to you. I, you know, my, the, his slaves are treated better than, than what I'm being treated right now. This is a hard life and I've gone into, my life is a, is a mess. It's a stronghold of, of just sinfulness. I'll go home to dad and I'll say, dad, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just hire me as a servant. That's why Jesus told that parable. This is a great parallel passage to that parable. Because he was a slave to sin, and, and what is it? And Jesus is revealing the. He said, "This is who the Father is," and he's talking about God. In this parable, and says the son, uh, the father looks down, sees the son down the path. He runs to him, embraces him, gives him a robe, gives him fingers, puts a ring on his finger, and doesn't give him a finger. That sounded really weird, didn't it? Here's the finger. Um, he gives him a ring for his finger. He's paying, are you paying attention? He's handing out fingers. Not that Jesus couldn't do that. So, could be that. He's missing a finger. By the way, ring for his finger. But he is bringing him back into the place of, he said, you're, you're my son. You are my son and I delight in you. Your past is your past. You're not dictated by your past. You're not dictated by a slave to sin. You know you're not going to be my servant. You're still my son. And so, you can almost understand why this kid fell into sinfulness in the first place is he didn't understand who he was with the father. Sonship. And if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And again, like I said, the specific sins that we'll look at, they're tied to many other things. And that's why I chose these just kind of specifically because they bleed into other areas. My encouragement is you may recognize these things in your own lives or as you look, and I, I, I encourage you today, I, I don't want to just come to church and go through the motions of church. That, that doesn't interest me at all. My heart for all of us, me included, is to open up our heart and say, God, take an honest look at me. Do an inventory of my, my, my heart, Lord. I want to do business with you because I don't, I don't want to just get to the end of my life knowing that you were dealing with things and there were things to be dealt with and having a lot of those regrets. That was the psalm that I started out with. If you weren't here, Psalm 39, David said, help me to number my days. Help me to focus on God, what's really important. But I encourage you just to, to open your heart. You may recognize these things. You may recognize them as generational strongholds that have been in your family for years. Maybe you saw it in your folks or your grandparents and some of these things that, you know, what the enemy tries to do is he just tries to, let's pass it on to that next generation. Let's pass that on to the next generation. And, and Jesus is saying, no, you can stop with us, no matter how young or old you are. So today I want to look at bitterness. Bitterness. Bitterness is a poison that will slowly kill us, and it affects others. 
when we look at that word bitterness, it's linked to resentment. It's linked to self-pity, unforgiveness, comparison, maybe caused by hurt. So-and-so has it better. My job is no good. Why do they get blessed and I don't? It can come through the resentment of being hurt. That, that place of maybe focusing on yourself, which causes self-pity, woe is me. You know, you want everyone else to feel sorry for you as much as you do yourself. But bitterness can come through. It's linked to neglect, maybe unfair treatment. Abuse can cause bitterness or maybe just heavy-handedness, oppression, somebody in your life that you're just, they were just heavy-handed and you just didn't feel much love from them and it was just more heavy-handed than grace. And all those things are linked that it can make us walk in this place of bitterness, but bitterness is a poison that will kill us, it will kill our hearts, and it will affect others. I want to look at Hebrews 12. If you don't think that it affects others, let's take a look at this. And interestingly enough, you know, the beginning of that is since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us cast off the sin that so easily entangles us. I just read that, but here in verse 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You read that again. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. I mean, that's a, that's a big hitting statement right there. No, no one falls short of the grace of God and no, no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. In this passage, you see that bitterness doesn't just affect us. It grows up in us like a weed that strangles our spiritual lives. But then it has also the ability to not just cause trouble and defile me, but many around me. Do you see what he's saying? Is that it, it will cause trouble and defile many, not just me. So that's a sobering statement. If you're bitter or you've walked in bitterness, it can affect people around you to fall short of God's grace. That's what he's saying. So he's tying together that your bitterness can defile many and also cause people to fall short of God's grace. That's a heavy, heavy word there. So he ties those together of our bitterness can affect the salvation of other people. So what do you do with weeds? You get round up, right? Bitterness is a dangerous root. I think that dandelions can grow in the sun. I'm convinced of it. Isn't it amazing that, I, I, you know, in, 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 our, in our society, in our culture, I wish that we could reverse it and say that dandelions is, are what you want in your grass. I would have the, I'd, have the, I'd have the best lawn in the neighborhood. 
Unfortunately, it's not the case. But, you know, like last year, you know, we have this dry, we're praying for rain, we're crying out to God, the crops are, oh man, we're just, and and God did miraculous things that we brought a crop in. But those dandelions, they are just alive and well. Just popped right up. I mean, just beautiful. Grass is brown, dandelions are bright green and, and just yellow. Just amazing. But you said bitterness is a danger, and how does something grow? How does it grow? It's over time. And how do you get weeds out of your grass? You have to get rid of the root. You either have to get on your hands and knees and start pulling them out, or you have to get the roundup. You can't just mow it down. But that's a great feeling. It's a temporarily nice feeling, isn't it? You're mowing it down, and you look back, and my yard looks as good as my neighbor's for like 24 hours. And then that thing that you mow down, pink, it's right back up, isn't it? Isn't that like bitterness, though? It's this bitter root that is in us, and sometimes we just kind of like, instead of letting God go deep, we just kind of deal with it and say, you know, I'm okay, and I just do this and that, and, and, it, and I look good on the surface for about 24 hours. But something happens that causes it to pop back up can't just keep mowing it down. You have to deal with the root that is going down in the soil. A bitter root grows in the soil of a hurt that hasn't been dealt with. It grows in the soil of a wounded heart. And instead of dealing with it biblically, scripturally, you absorb it and internalize it. Because that's what roots absorb and they grow. It's why they can grow so fast. They can take over because they are absorbing the nutrients of life that where the life is supposed to be. And they are self-focused and they grow. What's the biblical response to hurt and wounds? Found in 1 Corinthians 13, our famous love passage. I love this. Paul says this, Love does not honor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. How easy is that? <laughs> if, if you say easy, I'm going to have to ask you some questions. But doesn't he make it sound easy? See, all this is tied to a deep need for Jesus to help us with this stuff. It's a true love. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. No record of wrongs. What does bitterness do? It keeps detailed records. We have files in our heart and our mind. And let me, let me, let me just put that to the test. You see a person that has offended you, and what happens? You, know, you go right to that file card. Oh, yes. In 1988, on that date, I remember that. And they remind you of that just to see them. Bitterness keeps detailed records of the wrong or the wound. It replays it over and over. You ruminate on it. How about this? You rehearse what you wish you would have said. 
Come on now, don't shut me down. You know, you know I'm telling the truth. Oh, you know that zinger that you wish you would have said? You get, you get finished with this bad situation. You get home and you go, oh, man, I could have, there was five things that were right there. Why weren't those in that meeting? And God is saying, because I'm saving you. But we rehearse it. We ruminate on it. We replay it. But bitterness produces a poisonous fruit. If a bitter root is allowed to grow, it eventually produces this kind of fruit. Anger. We talked about resentment. Rage. Isolation. Sometimes hatred. Absolute hatred. If it's not dealt with. That's the fruit of bitterness. That's what the enemy said. Don't, don't deal with the bitterness. Just let the root grow. Let it just, yeah, mow it down every once in a while where you go, yeah, I'm doing good, and you just kind of pretend that it's all better. And that's what the enemy said. Just, just keep it going. Going back to that, 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 that passage that I just read from Hebrews 12, in the New Living Translation, it says this. Whenever the bitter root springs up, many are corrupted by its poison. Whenever the bitter root springs up, many are corrupted by its poison. And so again, if bitterness isn't dealt with, it doesn't just affect you. It affects everybody around you. And we know this in life. Do you, do you, do you notice how one bitter person can affect a whole group of people? You guys know who I'm talking about. Don't be jabbing people next to you either. But in life, in, 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 in like in workplace or school or sport teams or just, you know, when you're around groups of people, we tend to remember those. We, rem we remember those are most memorable in two categories. One, those who have a really positive impact. They are full of life. They are, you know, they're very positive and, and they just make people come to the, an, another level. And, and they just go, you know, man, they just inspire people to step up. By the way, that's what God wants us to do. But who else do we remember? Those who have this bitter impact, negative. You know, that person at the office of work, they, you know, you're, you're talking, maybe you're enjoying, and they walk up and everybody just kind of, maybe not out loud, but they're just like, oh. Person that's at school, you know, and, they, they're, and they're, they're just, this bitterness just comes off of them. They're just unhappy about everything. They just find the negative in all things. And this bitter poison, that's what he says, it will corrupt or defile many. It leaks out onto other people. And the sobering truth or, you know, that, that, that dangerous truth that we looked at before is that it can actually prevent people from knowing the grace of God if we don't deal with the bitterness. Does our bitterness leak out onto everyone? Are you bitter? Do you deal with bitterness? Have you seen bitterness in your heart? Is bitterness a generational thing in your life? Well, I want to look at five traits of bitter people. Again, I don't do this to bring glory to this, but this helps us evaluate our hearts what did David say? He said, search me, O God. Didn't he? Search me, O God. See if there is any offensive way in me. And then what does he say? Lead me in the way everlasting. 
He was very honest with God. Search me because I know I deal with some stuff. And that's what he's saying to God is I want to deal with it. I don't want to, I don't want to have this in my life for the, for the rest of my life. I want to deal with it. I want to know how to deal with it. Number one is this. Bitter people justify their bitterness. I deserve to be angry or talk about, talk about it all the time or replay it over and over because of what was done to me. And we're just looking for somebody that will give us a listening ear. Do you, do you understand what happened to me? And they're thinking, yeah, you've told me this for the last five years. I've heard this same story in different ways for a long time. But what happens is they're justifying it. I deserve this. I deserve to be bitter. Or this, I'm not bitter, I'm just venting. Ouchie, that hurt somebody's toes, maybe. I'm not bitter, I'm just venting. I need somebody to talk to about this. And sometimes we have to just say, when, when are you going to deal with it before God? Maybe God is the person you need to talk about it. We must be very careful not to justify our bitterness. Let's call it what it is. Number two, bitter people tend to become overly critical. You begin to pick people apart and look at people with a microscope, analyzing them, their motives. We can see that where so maybe somebody was generous. Oh, I know why they were doing that. They were just brown-nosing. Well, I know why that person did this or that. And we have people figured out and we you know, tend to be the expert in other people's lives. And we look at them with a critical eye. Remember when Jesus was talking about taking the log out of your own eye? He said, you, you know, you, you see the speck in your brother's eye. What do you have to do to see a speck in someone's eye? You got to get really close. You got to really look, you know, you know if, if maybe one of your, you know, your, your family members, you know, they get something in their eye and they go, you know, can you see this? And they have to get really close and they're looking around, look that way, look. That's what Jesus is saying is stop being so critical of others and look, you got, you got this log beam in your own eye and you're overly criticizing others. Bitter people tend to pick people apart and analyze them and know their motives. You know, we, we become motive experts of why people do what they do. Number three, bitter people secretly celebrate or hope for the misfortunes of others or are angry about the blessings of others. Bitter people like this when something else happens to people, we go, well, you reap what you sow. You got what you had coming, didn't you? Or, I hope they learn a lesson from this. Or what's worse is spiritually, I hope God teaches them a lesson through this. Not that we don't pray that God teaches people, but it's just it's that when our motivation is we see from a bitter eye. We celebrate the misfortunes of others, or we're angry that they're blessed. Why are they getting blessed and not me? You know, Asaph dealt with this, Psalm 73. The first part is that he's just angry at how the prideful and the wicked are getting blessed. I mean, he's mad, and he's mad with God, and he said, you know, why is it that I see the wicked, the, they prosper? But he says this about himself. He said, I almost lost my footing. 
seeing the proud and the wicked get blessed. In other words, that bitterness almost affected me. Because later on he said, I saw their end, and then I, he had compassion on them. And he just got his own heart right. And we can begin to look at others and compare ourselves. Celebrating at the misfortunes of others. This happened to me in Texas. One day we were going to uh, see Athena's brother. And we were traveling along, and this is one of those moments where God put his hand on me and said, that was, that was just not right. Um, and we're driving along in a work zone. Okay, you got to understand, I, I cannot stand work zones when you're traveling. Can I get a witness in here? Somebody shout an amen or something. Big cities, when they go down a single lane, and you're sitting in traffic, and I, I can be okay, and not really, I'm kind of lying to you, but I, I can be okay if I, if I see workers doing something. But how many times you go through there and there's no one around and there's cones everywhere and you're going, what are they doing around here? You know, I, I could drive over there. I could, I could veer in the cone. No one would know except the cops that pulled me over. And you're thinking, why in the world is, what is going on here? So I can't stand work zones, and that's a bitterness in my own heart that i got to deal with. Thank God that those guys are out there working, giving us new roads. It's the godly perspective. <laughs> well, we're driving along, you know, and uh, in Texas, man, God bless them. It's 75 miles an hour speed limit on the interstate in most places. <laughs> yeah, amen. God bless Texas. It's a great country. You should go there sometime. So I'm driving along, and it's like 55, which 55 from 75, it feels like, you know, I could ride a bike this fast. Um, and so this guy, this truck just goes zipping by me. And I look, I mean, he is cruising and just goes, like, you know, flying by me. And I see him, I'm like, he's going to get nailed. Well, two miles up the road, he's pulled over, and I just start rejoicing that this guy got pulled over. <laughs> I'm like, serves you right, you know. And my, my wife, who is more godly than me, um, she said, why are you celebrating that that guy got pulled over? And I'm like, well, he was speeding. He just shouldn't have gotten pulled. But the resentment in my own heart, I wish I could have gotten behind him and gone as fast as him. I was just envying him, celebrating over the misfortune of others. God said, that is so bitter. Number four, bitter people write off entire groups of people. There's a hurt that usually is associated with this by one person in a group, and then what happens is a person can write off that entire group. Have you ever heard, all men are dogs? All women are evil. And the problem is, is like women that say that is they had an encounter with a dog. That was manifest in a man. But that doesn't mean that all men are dogs. And then there's a bitterness that can get, or a man was mistreated by a woman. All women are this, or all men are this. Or you hear all Christians are hypocrites. From people that you maybe talk to. I don't go to church because all Christians are hypocrites. I'm going to say amen. Come on, we, can, we have room for one more. Because we're all hypocrites. There's things that we 
say and then do differently. We're all growing in Christ and need Jesus. But bitter people can write off entire groups, political groups. All Democrats are this. All Republicans are this. All blacks are this. Races. All whites are like this. All this. And we can see something and get a bitter root and say and just write off an entire group. We must guard our hearts as people of God not to do that. Number five, bitter people have a hard time seeing bitterness in the mirror. How quickly I justified my celebration of that guy's misfortune. And my wife had a godly response. And, you know, I'd like to say that I was sitting in the car and go, you're right, honey. You were exactly right. But <laughs> how many of you record that? Did you, what did you say I was? I was right. I wish I would have said that. But I just sat there and was like, you got what he deserved. And I, I, I mean, it took a couple of days before I got this. I mean, it's hard to see it in the mirror. And that's why we have to be honest with God and ourselves. Because we can see it in others. A lot of people, are, you know, even this message, you, you know, we, we do an inventory of the five people that we know that need to hear this message today that you're going to get a CD for. <laughs> Pastor Bruce did a good message. You need to listen to this. Good luck with your freedom. But one of the greatest dangers of bitterness or any sin is delusion, isn't it? is we don't see it in ourselves. We say, I'm not bitter, and then, you know, the fruit of it is everything that comes out of us is, is, is got a bitter slant. And this is what we need to be honest before the Lord. God, search me. This is not for somebody else. This is for me. And so as we look at those traits, is there something that you're bitter about? Is there someone that you're bitter with? Maybe it's a spouse, maybe an ex-spouse. Maybe your parents, and you've seen some generational things that have come down and that you recognize that there's some bitterness that was passed on. And... Or maybe somebody that hurt you intentionally or not. Because a lot of times, you know, sometimes people hurt us and they don't mean to. Sometimes the hurt is intentional. Are you still replaying that over and over? Maybe someone who abused you. Someone who took advantage of you. Maybe you're bitter at God. Unanswered prayers, things that you asked for and didn't happen. And we can get bitter at God. Or here's another one, someone who hurts someone that you love. And we take on someone else's offense. That's a real thing. Somebody got offended by something and then we take on that offense and that bitterness. And here's the trouble with that. I've seen this happen. Is someone, there was a misunderstanding here and this person got angry and offended and bitter. Their friends... Remember, it, it, remember that passage where it affects other, the poison bleeds out, and it will defile many if you let it. And so a few of their friends are now offended for this person. Well, then what happens is this person reconciles with that person. There's reconciliation, and there's, and there's like healing. 
And what are these people doing? They don't know about the right, and they're still bitter. That can happen. Where we get offended by other people, we have to learn how to let these things go and cast aside these things. So we need to allow the Lord to search our heart because here's the sobering truth. We can deal with it now or we can deal with it at the judgment seat of Christ. Which one would you like to choose? I say let's do it now. Let today be the day we start removing the bitter root. So how do we do that? And I know this is going to sound simplistic, but I tell you, if you get the heart of this, it will, it, will, it will help you in dealing with bitter roots. But we kill the, bitter, the, the root of bitterness through forgiveness. We kill the root of bitterness through forgiveness. And I know that sounds like a duh course. But again, the significance is powerful. Let's look at Ephesians 4. Get rid of all bitterness. There again, there's one of those statements where, you know, it's like, don't be anxious for any, about anything. And Paul makes these statements, but he's saying there is a possibility to do it, but you can't do it within yourself. You can't just muster up enough willpower to do this. But he says, get rid of all bitterness. And here, notice he lists that one first because, you know, you have these the ripple effect sins that can come bitterness because it can turn into rage, it can turn into anger, harsh words and slander as well as all types of evil behavior. Bitterness can launch you into many different things, but get rid of it. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ what has forgiven you. And that's the key phrase is, here's how you do that. Look at what Christ has done for you. Let it go. Remove it, because the fruit of it leads to rage, anger, harsh words, slander. And then remember what Christ has done for that he unconditionally loves and forgives us. One of the keys to forgiveness is doing it even when the other person doesn't repent or recognize their wrongdoing. Isn't that true? Isn't it easy to forgive when somebody says, I've blown it, I'm sorry, I knew I made a mistake and I was wrong, will you forgive me? It's a little easier, isn't it? I mean, I'm not going to say it's always easy, but it is easier when they recognize it. Here's the key to forgiveness. We have to forgive even if we don't get any of that. Even if they say, no, you were still wrong, and we just have to release that and say, God, I forgive them. And today, I don't want to minimize some of your hurts. Some people have endured some unimaginable things. And, you know, some have a miraculous ability. And I, and I, I call it that. It's a miraculous ability to forgive and let things go. Some people do. I've met people like that where they have just been able to just let it go. And it's, and it's a, an amazing. It's the work of Christ. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in someone's life. It's a miracle. For others, it's a process process of forgiveness. And let me tell you this, it will have to go beyond your feelings and your emotions. Because our feelings and emotions can be very raw. Ultimately, we need Jesus, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. 
and this is where we come into that place of relationship with him. And this is what he has designed all along. This is how we get rid of it and how we cast aside. And it's in relationship, talk to Jesus. Talk to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a mystical presence out there. It's the third person of the Trinity. We can talk to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come and give me power. The promise of your word says that you can infill me and you can baptize me and you can give me power. Give me help to forgive because I, I don't want to forgive. In my own heart, I don't want to forgive. It, it is very hard. Jesus, Holy Spirit, help me. Give me supernatural strength because I don't have it within myself to do this. That's honest prayers before God. Jesus, give me your heart for them and let me see them with your eyes. Because here's, here's the reality, and, and most of you know this to be true, is if we don't forgive them, that authority or that thing that they've had over our lives, it still just remains intact. That person may be long removed, years and it's like they still have an effect in our lives when we don't forgive. We actually give them power to continue to almost have authority in our life. That's why Jesus, in, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, if you don't forgive others, the Father in heaven can't forgive you. There's authority that is released when we forgive someone. There's authority over there. Uh, the authority that they had over our lives is false kind of Messed up authority, it is removed and we walk under the authority of Christ now. I've never really shared this story publicly. I've shared it with a few people, but, and I won't get into any details, but when I was about 13 or 14, um, I had something that I would not wish upon anyone happen to me. And it was, you know, I was taken advantage of in, in a certain way and by a family friend and, uh, Again, I've, not, I've never shared this publicly, but in preparing this, the Lord brought that to mind and just, the, and, and, and just reminded me of the process that it took. And, but all of these that, you know, when the bitter people, the, bitter, the traits of bitter people, I, I recognize some of these things in my own heart of having a hatred towards someone or hating entire groups of people because of something that has happened to you. But it, my story, it was a process to forgive. It was, it, was, it was very painful, very hard, and it took a while for me to deal with that. And I had to, especially as a 13 or 14-year-old kid, it, it, you know, you, you're not sure what to do with some of these things. And it was only, you know, I mean, I, I, I kind of just went through, you know, you just start doing life as a teenager, and I really didn't talk to many people about this, and, and that was probably not healthy either. But, you know, it was later on that I really visited, revisited it and, and was able to say, Lord, I, I consciously want to forgive and, and, and let that go and not, and then not have hardness in my heart. But we must forgive, and we need Jesus to help us. And here's the thing is, that's what he says is, be forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And so part of my process was that, you know, I looked at what I was forgiven of unconditionally, my lust, my anger, my cheating, remembering what Jesus did for me. 
Because if we don't forgive, we invite that bitter root, we invite it to grow, we invite its fruit to rule in our lives. We keep the hurt, and then here's the thing, is the, the challenge thing, is we keep the authority of that as a dictator, and that's what the enemy wants. He wants it to be a dictator, a stronghold in our lives. But I love the promise of this passage. As we forgive and we get the bitter root out, we trade the fruit, that, that, that old fruit for this, for peace, for joy. Instead of slander, we're giving life-giving words. And then all of a sudden, we, our hearts get more tender, tender-heartedness toward others. And I say, let's make the trade. But here's how we do it. We need to allow God to go deep. Don't just mow down the weeds. Go to the root. And we do that by saying, I need a supernatural encounter with God. God is supernatural, and he goes beyond the natural. He affects the natural, but he goes beyond the natural. It's, I don't have this ability in the natural to do this. I need God's supernatural intervention. And that's why you hear those passage, passages like the peace that passes understanding. Only the supernatural power of God can do that. And the power of the Holy Spirit is real. So let him in. Let him do his work. Don't just mow it down. Don't just put the proverbial Band-Aid on something that needs surgery. Allow God to go deep. Allow him to do his work. Let's pray. Lord, we, we just love you today and we thank you for your unbelievable grace. Lord, as we sang earlier, the grace that is unending and, and never failing. And Lord, we all desperately need that grace. We all desperately need your touch, God. And I pray for each of our hearts today, Lord, that, that God, if, if you are speaking something to our hearts today, if you're speaking something to the the people that are in here, Lord, I pray, God, they would allow you in. They would allow you to do the deep work. They would allow you, God, to go to the roots and just begin to just weed those things out. So, Lord, we just submit our hearts to you today. We submit our lives to you today, and we say, God, we need you. The way we're going to close is we're going to have the lights down. We'll have some music playing. If you need to go, I just I pray God's blessing on you today. We'll, we'll just dismiss you. But if you'd like prayer for, for whatever it might be, if something spoke to your heart today and you'd like prayer, um, I, I'm just going to invite our leadership team to come up and just be available. Um, if you'd like for somebody to just join with you in prayer, we would love to do that. Um, and, but if you need to go, God bless you. But Lord, I just thank you, God, again for your presence. Thank you for your grace. I pray a blessing over your people today. I pray, God, that we would walk with you this week. We give our hearts to you this week. And Lord, it really is a moment by moment, day by day walk with you. And I pray that we would know that and know who we are in you, that we are sons and daughters of God. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.